condition, my condition was in. I woke up this morning with the sundown shining in. Him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. I tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind. On a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's what you, uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. Just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sundown shining in. Well, we're back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm talking about Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures down 13, NASA Futures down 37. They were up, up. Up until what, about 9 o'clock last night, Greg? Uh, maybe 7 o'clock? Of course, you were out partying. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Were you, uh, if, was it one of those parties where if it's free, it must be for me? Or were you buying? <laughs> uh, there was a little bit of both. You know, you don't want to seem like too much of a freeloader. Well, I don't know. Some people we know are pretty good at that. <laughs> when, when, you, uh, when you're invited, you know, I'm just happy to be there. So. And I'm just, just happy to be there. What, that was the, uh, do we have Mr. Kevin? Let's see. Sounds like it. Kevin. <laughs> yeah, you have me. There we go. Remember uh, remember the cliches in Bull Durham. I'm just happy to be here. Whatever the team wants me to do, I'll do. What was the rest of them, Kevin? Uh, something I would... I'll, I'll, uh, good Lord willing, yeah, you know, good. take it one day at a time. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and good Lord willing, uh, it'll, things will all work out. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he told the lady, oh, boy, I love your hair like that. Is that new? And she, of course, is blushing away and... Yeah, uh, what was her name? Because uh, um, there, there was a there was a song and uh, <laughs> oh, God, it was. I'll I'll have, to, I'll have to pull up the video and tweet it out to the uh, uh, to the listeners. By the way, I uh, I when I was uh, interestingly enough, when I ran for the board of the CBOE, but I was not nominated myself and another gentleman, Merrill Ferguson, a terrific guy. Uh, we ran as outside people. Well, the, the people that. The market makers, our group, the Independent Floor Members Association, that ran us, uh, well, that we ran basically from, with that group's backing, um, we, they said, okay, you two idiots better go to, for some media training in case you actually get interviewed on this, because it was a big deal uh, that, that somebody actually challenged the slate. And uh, um, so we went for media training, and it, it was really interesting. I mean, if they had a, a lady there who was a very experienced, uh, you know, she was she was an interviewer of people, political uh, interviewer. She she just retired to raise her three. She was up to like three kids or something, but she knew her stuff. Well, thank God she picked on Merrill, and uh, because she started asking him questions that he just got totally tongue tied, and and they played us two tapes, one of which was uh, Bob Newhart being interviewed by this striking red hair lady, and uh, you know it was like a TV 
interview show, like like Face the Nation or something. Uh-huh. And the other one was the dopey pitcher in Bull Durham. And how well he did because he was prepared. And how Bob Newhart. He was prepared for his, his cliches. <laughs> yeah, for his cliches. And they showed this one with Bob Newhart. And uh, she kept saying, you know, just relax, just relax. Just like a day at the office. I just asked a couple easy questions and blah, blah, blah. And she launches into something like, now how how much, uh, doctor, do you uh, charge per hour? And he's like, well, it's kind of uh, confidential. So you, you're not even going to tell people how much you charge it. Do you tell the patients before? I mean, she's just all over. He goes, well, I charge, and this, this is years ago. He, he goes, well, I charge like $75 an hour. And she says, well, uh, okay, so $75 an hour, how many hours would I have to go at that outrageous rate before I'm cured? And he says, well, you don't really actually ever, like, cure anybody. Oh, so let me get this straight. You charge 75 bucks an hour, and you've never you've never cured anybody. <laughs> he's, like, he's, like, ready to crawl under the desk, right? Good, good work if you can get it. <laughs> good work if you can get it. And uh, so then they, they switch from there, and she, then they go to break, and she says, no, 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 don't worry. I was just the first shot. Now, now we'll just ask some really nice questions. And she launched into him about something else, and he was a total buffoon, right? And Because uh, he didn't have a clue as to what... So the uh, and they went they go to Bull Durham. So the bottom line is this is free advice from this lady is if ever you're like if you're working on a trading floor or whatever it is somebody calls you in the pit whatever it is two things one is you you never decline an interview because no way on earth can you or your group pay for the amount of time on TV that that's you, you can't get a national TV spot at six fifteen in the news. There's not enough money even in the Democratic Republican Party. Well, maybe there is there uh, to get yourself your thoughts out there. So you ha- you're going to have three minutes to get your mission out. So you you better practice getting your mission out. And but you can't be so crazy. I mean, you see some of these politicians. Uh, Clinton was the first one where no matter what it happened on the show here, I had David Stockman on uh, years ago, and I asked him a couple questions. He never even answered the question. He just went into his absolute. Uh, spiel and he never shut up to the point where I could never even get a word in. Uh, imagine that, me not getting a word in. So he was he was probably the worst interview I've ever had, David Stockman, the, the guy who was a budget director. But the, anyway, the, the point so he, he filibustered you. Is what basically, he did. I don't know how the guy never took a breath for like for like ten minutes. He just came out with he just came out with his book and he just ran it for ten minutes. And I'm like, okay, then see you. <laughs> but but you really can't you can't have somebody. So Kevin, uh, how's that golf game? Well, you know, Miss X. I really love golf, as you well know, but in this day and age, don't have much time for it because this is what I'm doing. I'm trying to work for the people to get this across. You have to constantly turn into, you've got you know two minutes to get your message out, and you and you have to do it, even in, in such a way where it doesn't sound like you're a wind-up toy. And it takes some practice. You can see politicians after a long period of time, I mean, they get they get way better at it. At least the ones that that care care enough to learn. I don't know how we got on the subject, but it's yeah. I don't know how we did either, but I, I, yeah, I've I've, um, I've interviewed a lot of uh, basketball uh, players and coaches over the years, and some of them are cliche machines, and some of them uh, learn how to be very candid, and they're they're still getting messages out there. Trust yeah. me, especially the coaches. They're you know it, it's all it's all about messaging, but some of them have a really good way. Mike Bray always had this a, a really good way of you know. Uh, being very, very, very candid and interesting, and at the same time, uh, you knew that there was something he wanted to make sure got told. Some story he made sure got told. 
I saw one of the better ones was recently for me anyway. I don't listen to a lot of them, but uh, the uh, Warriors are playing somebody, and they come out at halftime, and uh, one of the one of the ladies did the side type sideline stuff. Grabs uh, Steve Kerr, right? Uh, Steve mm-hmm. Kerr, and she says, "Coach, what'd you tell him at halftime?" He goes, "Well, you know, I pretty much told him the same thing that everybody's told every basketball team since grammar school: play defense, don't <laughs> don't turn over the ball." He goes, "It never changes." He says to her, "The look at her face was like there was supposed to be some genius message he was given." And he goes. It's the same thing. It's the same game <laughs> when you're nine years old. Make sure you pass the open guy. Make sure you play defense. And, oh, by the way, don't turn over the ball. <laughs> he goes, it doesn't change. And she's looking at him like he had four heads. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And, and you know, I did. I, I don't know what his tone of voice was for well, that. He was, he was fine. He, he, was, he was real good. Uh, so he, he was he, he was just sort of being candid and, yeah. and still saying, "Well, that's a stupid question." Basically, no, he didn't really. Um, he just said, "You know, this we just we just the same fundamentals that we talk about every day. That's that's what we talked about." And, duh. I mean, it's only you only get you only get to give one Gipper speech, right? Not, not ten. Yeah, I know. the The, the thing is, the uh, uh, you know, a lot of times you do see, especially in sports, but you see it all the time. You know, the, just these really stupid questions. You know, uh, um, check, you know, check the post game interview on any of these playoff games when someone has a big second half after uh, after a pedestrian first half, and you say, "Well, what allowed you to do that? What allowed you to just get it in gear? What may you know what?" These are stupid questions. These are the the kinds of things where you know I, I I understand somebody who has to write asks those because what they're really saying is I need a quote that I can fit into the story somewhere. But when you're with a microphone, that's just a dumb question. It's un- the answer is going to be uninformative. You're not going to get any insight, and you're just going to make the uh, make the athlete babble a little bit. Um, and and learning how to ask questions that gets get you good insights is you know that that was like the best thing i ever got out of uh of, of covering basketball um but the, the i guess sometimes you see this you know this look flash across a coach's face you know there's some guys like Beheim would do this and jim calhoun they just berate somebody for asking stupid questions which is not very nice but then you would get um a lot of the other coaches where they would do their best to give some kind of answer you know tom how big was that shot that put you ahead for good in the second half well you know very it was very big tom you know but you know some coaches will berate you for asking for a stupid question but most coaches are going to try to you know give you some kind of insightful answer um that gives you that you know gives a, a reporter what that reporter needs the the funniest of all time was the uh, Baylor guy, and it was you know Baylor had been upset by I think it was Yale, um, and uh, and they got out. Uh, this was in the NCAA tournament oh five six years ago now, and, and so this guy uh, you know this senior he gets the dumb question: How did how did a team uh, you know how did the other team how did Yale out rebound you? And so you could tell this guy's like, well, hey, I'm a senior, my career's over anyway. Let's be a smart ass on this. And so he says, well, you see, they have this thing where if they miss a shot, you go up and you grab the basketball, and those are called rebounds. And they got more than we did. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> well, I think the same thing happens uh, to a lot of people. Matter of fact, Dr. J, the guy who's uh, 
I originally brought him into the business was convinced there was a big connection between people that knew how to play sports and people who knew how to trade. I don't know if there was or there wasn't, but I'm going to say there probably wasn't. But the, uh, I mean, obviously you and I are not, are not playing at the level of the Celtics or the Heat, but certainly not in basketball. And uh, but when you played sports your whole life and you traded twenty some years like I did, uh, you know, there's there's the people who don't do it, have never done it. They have this total misconception that if you play well one night and you play like crap the next night, that somehow you tried harder or you did something different the night you played well. Which might be true. Uh, maybe, not, maybe not. Not likely, but it, yeah. but, but it's, it might. I mean, what, what Jack Brickhouse used to say, when it's your day, you can't give it away. I mean, I know some, some days, you, you once, not often enough, but you trade, and the first trade, somebody buys you know 30 lot of puts from you, in the next trade, the guy comes in and he's selling you 30 of the same puts. And all of a sudden, you get on a, a sine wave where there's a guy buying and the next guy selling. And, there's a guy, and, and your day, you, know, you just can't, even no matter what you did, you, you basically couldn't bleep it up. Then the next day, you know, the guy buys puts from me, the next guy buys puts from me, the next guy, and all of a sudden, you're scrambling, you're buying, you're, you're trying to, you're, you're sold all these puts, you're trying to buy other words, you can't get them. And at the end of the day, you may have worked like Harry Houdini. And maybe got back to break even, and it was the best trading skill day you ever had in your life, and you were, you were lucky to make a nickel, and probably didn't. So I mean, you know, there's no, you can't say, okay, you made two grand one day trading, and you lost a grand the next day. That somehow you tried harder or were smarter on the day. You, it 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 didn't work that way. No, what what you're yeah. describing is is in in the case of trading, it's how you work. In in general, you're it's about how you compete. Right. And and that's not the same as what the results are. Now, of course, there are guys who get better results uh, more consistently, um, and a lot of that is because of hard work. But it's not hard work typically that uh, that game or that day. It's not that you work any harder that day. A lot of that has to do with how hard you work when there's not a game, just like it has to do in trading or in any professional endeavor, how hard you, you know, how well you prepare yourself and how, how you know, how much you stay on top of what the relevant issues are. Well, I remember one summer we were playing, it was actually a really good league in Oklahoma softball, and for whatever reason, Kevin, I mean, you know, you and I were not the sickly type, so all of a sudden I get this, like, I don't know what I got, I was out, out of town for the for the CBOE, I come back and I don't know. I caught something on the plane or whatever. I'm doing a, you know, the 102 fever in the middle of summer. I'm going. This is this is just swell. Oh, I just need to sweat that out a oh, little. Yeah, time. just a little bit. So my guys go, hey, look, we got this playoff game tonight. We don't have a pitcher, and you know, I never missed a game. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I can even go do this. So I go out there, and I no no batting practice, no nothing. I'm pitching. I'm saying, oh, whatever it is, it's a strike. These guys are going to hit it. I'm getting out of here in an hour. I pour it over a strike. These guys hit the ball at somebody the whole game. I batted three times. Whatever I could have hit anything, Kevin, and had found grass. And uh, we win going away. All of a sudden, two nights later, I feel fine. I go out. I'm warmed up. I got the batting practice. I put the ball all over the place. I pitched like crap, and I was 0 for 4. Every time I hit the ball, I hit it at somebody. You know, you, you, just, you just never know in sports. It just, it just you know, you, well, some nights it's yours, and some nights it's not. Some, you know, it's, someday, what, you're the car windshield. Someday, you're the bug. I mean, it just... Yeah. 
Sometimes you get the donut. Sometimes you get the hole. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we should we should that, back to cliches. Yeah, <laughs> back, uh, and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, we should we we need a whole show dedicated to uh, uh, coming up with ways to say that. Oh yeah. Hey, but uh, I got a question for you. The, we've we've talked, and I know you you teach a lot of management stuff. And Russell, it's a good day with you and Russell because he teaches a lot of management stuff as well. And I and I remember a lot of my. Uh, well, the work I did at University of Chicago. I remember the stuff that was really unique and that you... Now, calculus, the day I left class, I started to forget it, and six months later I couldn't have done a problem if you asked me because there's no reinforcement whatsoever. But I will say one thing about when I was at the business school at Chicago and even the economic school at Notre Dame, virtually everything they taught me in every class at some point was reinforced in real life, that you were lucky that you, that you had it, you talked about it, because it was right there in front of you. And, and you actually learned more going forward than you did in class. But it was, there was never really, I guess I couldn't tell you what they did in my philosophy class at Notre Dame or my theology class at, with Father Maury Amen. But the economics classes, every one of them turned out to be something you use. And you could read up on more and things like that. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that. But what, I, what I'm seeing with this debt thing, Kevin, and I'm not, you know, I, I kind of want to stay out of the politics of it. Because I honestly don't know the politics, except both sides seem to not have a calculator. But uh, oh, it's, it's all about the politics, though, Tom. Well, I, what I, what my my point is is we have all kinds of people opining on what is wrong with you know, politics and term limits, and everybody's got somewhat of a solution, or maybe most of us don't have a solution. But you know, I I, I keep getting this weird feeling that somehow or another the same problems we have, and again, I'm not trying to rewrite this constitution. Uh, the same problems we have in politics are the same problems we have in this one class talking about designing executive compensation packages for the long-term good of the company, the environment, the people, and the shareholders. Which, you know, because if, if everybody's not included, it it never seems to work over the long pull. And and I wonder if somehow or another our, the way we're... That was about 15 minutes at the Berkshire... Uh, um annual meeting or whatever that some some guy or maybe it was the cnbc guy asked about you know what's the guy what's your replacement going to get paid and they talked for about 10 minutes yeah and he said without saying that the entire incentive system because of envy i think it was munger said that you know i don't think a manager is ever going to look at the next uh sec filing and see however however much the next guy's making and thinks think he should make less so it's they say at great expense to the shareholder that all that data is is uh, very transparent. Well, I mean, there was a gentleman on, he was one of these, uh, what's the term? Uh, the guys that go in there and try and shake up the board and stuff, Kevin? What's the term they use for that? The uh, Not the corporate raider, but the whatever. The, the activist investor. Yeah, the activist investor. And he was talking about Yelp and how shareholders never made a dime. I never been a dividend yet. The people that are up top, the management group, has made millions of dollars, and how screwed up. But my, I guess my point is, is as we go through this, but um, Brandon brought it up yesterday. As we go through this thing with fighting about the, uh, de- the debt ceiling, you know, Brandon is convinced that they're just going to push it out six months. 
or you know that they're not going to actually come to fruition. They're going to say they need more time. Well, but the, but the, this isn't the budget. This is the debt ceiling. I, know. I, I don't think they can just push it out six months. Well, they could. They, they, they're going to have to raise it one way or the other. Well, they can you raise it. You, you can, can you can raise it just enough to get you out six. That's months. That's what I'm saying. That's what he was saying. I'm sorry. I, but I didn't but say that's right. not the same as just I'm, I'm going to push it out. They're going to. They could say. How much Jenny right, Yellen? But Brenda did mention it mentioned like a continuing resolution, and it's it's not the same. Right, but he he also said they they can do something. Okay, Janet, how much do you need to go to August first, and it could you know it could be whatever, a ten billion dollars. They could they can do that, right? But that's that's that just pushes it out sixty days. Anyway, my my point is is it is it appears that just like my class at the University of Chicago, and just like people like Charlie Munger are saying and the guy on Yelp, somehow the motivation is just to get this group to the next election and get their story out and get them either back in or something like that. And it's not, it's the same as, it's virtually the same problem if you pay a CEO based on quarterly earnings. And you don't care if he dumps all the pollution in the lake and five years from now the next guy's got to pay $90 billion to clean it up. I mean, it, it's, it's, the motivations w- with our current system when it comes to financial health of the country seem all screwed up, Kevin. I mean, it, and I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's because of the way the, the terms that we have now, the, the length of the terms or not. I mean, I don't know the solution, but it seems like sort of the same problem, doesn't it? Well, in, in many ways it is. And this, this gets back to the politics of it. You know, what, what position has the, <clears throat> excuse me, has the president taken all along. He has basically said, I won't sign anything other than a clean uh, uh, debt ceiling increase. And so now he's in a position where, yeah, they're negotiating, uh, but he's he's kind of, you know, how's he going to save face on this? I mean, this is, this well, is he's, just he's a, changed. A, a, a negotiating, a, a negotiating one-on-one. Well, yes, he has, and then in a way, he hasn't. Remember, uh, last, over the last weekend, late last week and over the weekend, he was in Japan. So everything that was happening was happening when uh, here in the U.S. was happening when it was overnight for him. So what happened? Well, uh, it, it seems that it was, I think it was Friday morning, because everybody, we're making progress, we're making progress, we're meeting. Uh, you know we're we're getting a lot done, and then all of a sudden, at the end of the week, Bernie Sanders has a big press conference, and all of the uh, the farthest left activists, like um, uh, Jayapal is an example, Representative Jayapal, uh, are, are on saying there's going to be if if he gives up anything, there's going to be a major revolt amongst the caucus. And in her case, she said, and maybe even in the streets, which is sort of the threat to organized oh, protests yeah. on that. Okay, so so the, and and uh, so all of a sudden, they all get together uh, the the next day, and they're out of there in an hour. They're out of there in an hour and saying, "Well, we're 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 nowhere again." Um, and, and it it's almost like the president got his morning briefing. Uh, everybody caught him up on all of the activities of the day before, and it was like, okay, put you know, grind this to a halt. That is related to electability because sure there is. are so many Democrats who are not comfortable with Biden as their nominee as it is, and if he starts giving away things, um, you can betcha. I've, I've said all along, as far as all this uh, family scandals with him and his, with uh, the president and his family, it's he's not going to get kneecapped from the right. He's going to he's going to get it from the left 
at any point when he's not useful to them. Um, well, the far you know, left they they have the same information that everybody else has. The far left needs to, needs in well, one man's opinion needs needs to realize that they're just as despicable as the far right in terms of most people, most of the population. I mean, right now we have if you look back four years or three years or whatever it is, eh, say four, maybe actually five. Uh, We've had all kinds of spending problems and tax problems all along, Kevin, but the things that are, if you just look at the last five years, the the tax package that Trump put through was, was totally screwed up in a lot of ways. And the some of the spending packages or a couple of the spending big ones that Biden's put through are totally screwed up. Both of those, the idea that, I mean, first of all, the, the idea on the, the Democratic side that we're not giving up a penny is ludicrous. And, and the, the idea on the Republican side is we're gonna, we want to pull all this money out of these bills. And, uh, oh, but by the way, there, we, there's no way we can go from 21 to 21.5% on corporate taxes because it's just going to screw our buddies. Okay, both sides yeah, are and, screwed and, up. And I know you, you've said that a lot over the last week, and my attitude on anything raising taxes and, uh, you know, corporate taxes, uh, a, a slight increase, you know, no big deal, I suppose. But my attitude on anything as it pertains to taxes is, would you show a little fiscal, fiscal constraint first before you decide you're going to uh, have- raise taxes? Because... You know, I, I, my attitude is, you know, show me. You better show me that you're going to have, you're going to manage the money well before you start I, asking I, for I, more. And they can't do that. Kevin, one thing you're probably not more conservative about me on is fiscal conservative. But I tell you what, this stuff like the step up basis, things like that, were absolute handouts to some groups. We got to stop that. All of it, all of it needs to go away. The tax code is complicated, and it's complicated for one really, really good reason: is the politicians can tweak everything as they see fit, as they want to reward their uh, their their particular constituents, and it's really, really easy because you don't have to change a damn thing on the rates. You can just change all of the provisions. And you know, how often do I say you can raise the rates all you want? When, as long as you can make the taxable income zero or near zero, your tax liability is going to be low no matter what, yeah. and that's all done as part of the code. Well, but we have so a, yeah. So knock yourself out. Go ahead, raise the tax well, rate. Ain't going to make any difference. Well, but that I think part of it is you, you need to make some people pay. But I'm saying it all has to be. I, I have an odd view, Kevin. My view has gotten has gotten almost sophomoric. Whenever somebody else doesn't pay, I pay more, and I'm tired of it. Just saying. Yeah, generally that's not the case. I think we just squander. Oh, all. oh, come on. The the the, the person who it do, doesn't realize. No, I, I think no. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, you don't pay more. We just run a bigger deficit. Well, okay. But in the no, long but, run, you in the long run, in the you long pay run, more, in the long run, you'll pay more. I mean, uh, anyway, SP futures down fourteen. Nasdaq futures down fifty six. Uh, could be a second day in a row of this. We hope not. We'll be right back. Stocks and jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. 
Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, and everybody, Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Out. Mike Pappas on the board, Kevin O'Neill on the line. SP Futures down 15. And if you just down 57, we got earnings this morning. We had coal stores up 10%. Uh, is they surprised to the upside? Tax rate in 21.50 up 223. That's actually a little more than 10%. Good for them. Uh, Dow futures are up 122. I'm sorry, down 122. Over in Europe, we have uh, we got some stocks. The stocks that are uh, have been flying up are actually coming down here again. Nvidia is down 363. It's still way up from where it has been. Got Tesla down another 272 at 183. Uh, a lot of these stocks got whacked yesterday pretty good. Um, you know, we'll see if they come back today. The uh, Over in Europe, we got the DAX down 259. Wow, it's 1.6%. Puts you down 132, 1.7. These guys have been been pretty buoyant lately, and it's you know, slow but creeping up. Uh, CAC down, CAC around, down uh, 130, that's 1, 1.8%. So they're kind of, they're all in the high ones, almost 2% across the board. Nikki down 275. It's two days in a row. It's retreated from a like a 20-some year high. Still over 30,000, 30,682. Hang Seng down 315, that's 1.6%. 19,115 in danger going under 19,000. Shanghai down 41, that's two days in a row at an over 1% move, that's 1.3%. Uh, Shanghai shares hit a four-month low, uh, which, you know, the the Chinese markets have not been doing well. Uh, yesterday is a way of review, lousy day, Dow, up, Dow down 231. S&P down 47, it's over 1%, and NASDAQ down 160, that's 1.3%, so it was a, it was a clunker yesterday. Uh, bonds down 2 basis points, 3.68, the bond down 3 basis points, 2.43, Japan up 1 to 0.41. We've got oil, dollar fourteen seventy four oh five. it keeps creeping up here. Uh, it's at the higher end of this recent range, we'll see if it breaks through. Brent up 106, 7790, there's another OPEC meeting coming up pretty soon, I think that's part of it. Uh, natural gas up a penny, 233. Arbob up another three cents, 269. So it's up about 15 cents in the last week. Gold up 520, but still mired under 2,000, 1979. 
Silver down another dime, 23.52. Copper down another five cents, 3.59. So, if you look at these industrial metals, their price is going down. Does that lead you to believe we're going to be picking up on uh, manufacturing anytime soon? Uh, Bitcoin down another 476, 26,717. And the U.S. dollar is uh, slightly stronger. Let's say it's even with the euro and it's stronger against the pound. Pound's down to 123 from 127 a few weeks ago. So the dollar's moved to the upside. has really caught gold in a few things here, kind of with the drawers down. What do you got, Greg? You got traffic weather sports. Good morning, everyone. Wednesday, 24th, 6.36 a.m. Chicago, 60 degrees now, moving up to 66-degree high. few clouds. Uh, most notably, there's probably going to be 15 to 25-mile-an-hour winds here. Phoenix, I want to say 76 right now, 99 uh, today. Not going to hit 100, but 99 with uh, 11 mile per hour winds. Let's see, traffic. Inbound Kennedy O'Hare to interchange about an hour, uh, 22 minutes outbound. Edens to Lake Cook, uh, Edens Lake Cook to 29 uh, interchange is about an hour again, 56 minutes. Inbound Ike Wolf to the interchange, 40 minutes, um, 20 minutes outbound. Inbound Ryan, 95th to the, the interchange is 18 minutes, and the Stevenson from um, Harlem to Dan Ryan is 22 minutes. Sports, we got White Sox beating uh, Cleveland and Cleveland 4-2. Cubs beating the Mets 7-2 at home. Arizona beat Philly 4-3. In the NHL, the Golden Knights uh, never was close with the Stars, 4-0. And NBA, the Celtics beat up on the Heat finally, uh, 116-99. Sometimes you get the donut, sometimes you get the whole. That's all I got, Chief. Back to you. The um, couple couple things here. Uh, I watched Kevin. Did you watch any of the Cleveland game last night? Yeah, I did. So not the whole thing. Um, I we had a, we had a guy a guy uh, a long time ago. I think the dude. I don't think I think he 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 passed. The nicest guy is he ran a, a, a broker dealer in uh, Cleveland. He was part of that uh, LL something group. And he wanted to get out of there. He almost came with us. Guy had pretty nasty diabetes, but he was a serious survivor and did all kinds of uh, uh, talks to kids with diabetes. Two nights a week, he was the hospital. Terrific, terrific guy. But when when they built the new Cleveland Stadium, uh, I mean, somewhat after, you almost couldn't get a ticket. And they they had a a deal in the uh, uh, what's what's the the stadium club. If you went to the stadium immediately, you realize it's the same architects as, as Sox Park Stadium Club. Instead of being on the right field sides, on the left field side, and, and the pitch is the same. Everything looks kind of the same. You know, the background's different, that kind of stuff. But so the place is mobbed. You go to get gas, and the lady's got her Cleveland jersey on, and she goes, "Yeah, the boss says we can wear our Cleveland jerseys the night of a home game." They they had a, a lady whose job was well, she had a regular job, but her job was to call it like twelve oh one to get the best seat in the stadium club to eat dinner. They had like five rows going down. On the bottom level, there's one table. <laughs> a big round table for like eight people. And one of the people in their group ate dinner there every night of the, every one of the 81 games because she always called it 1201 and reserved the table just to piss everybody off who called it 1205. So we ate there. The place was mobbed. Last night, how many people were there? 5,000? Maybe? 10? Right. The difference, Be- beautiful night for a ball game. Yeah, too. the difference is is absolutely dramatic. I mean, is there? Uh, I know the games are much more watchable now that they're faster. But I, what is what is? And the the, the tribe wasn't very good back then either. We can't call them a tribe anymore. Well, they're they're yeah. off to a uh, they're off to a poor start, but they'll probably they 
you know, I, I like the way they play. Um, they're, they're, I love the manager. Yeah, uh, Francona is really yeah. good, but they, you know, they they play a style of um, you know make, making a lot of contact, um, you know, etc. Just you know the kind of baseball that I really like, um, and so maybe I'm a throwback and uh, and all, but they don't, you know, they're they're not always swinging for the fences, and and everybody on their in their lineups a tough out, but I don't know what's behind poor attendance at their games. I you know if. I have no idea what's going on. I suppose we could pull up the attendance uh, numbers, but you know they've had a good team. I don't know why. You know I don't know why they should. Uh, you know, and they've had a good team for years. I don't know why they should uh, yeah, take I, a beating it has like to be, that. I'm, I'm just speculating here, but I know one thing. Where where did I? Uh, who? We had somebody on the show years ago, and said in, in the places like Chicago and Cleveland and someplace. If you don't sell the tickets in January, you don't sell them. I mean, it's really hard to get the walk up, walk up. And now I, I think people are absolutely out of the habit of just going to a game and, and I'm just not going to get my soapbox about actual tickets, but going to a game, walking up to the thing and buying a ticket and going sit down. I don't think I don't think anybody does that anymore. I mean, you, you either have season tickets or a package or something, or you get them from somebody. Or, or you bought them ahead of time or you, online. Or you bought them ahead of time online. The idea of, hey, it's 5.30, I feel pretty good, it's a nice night, I think I'll run out to the Cub game and see what I can, I'll go to the box office and see what I can get. It wouldn't even cross my mind, Kevin, yet when I was younger. 14,524. How many? How many yet? 14,524. Yeah, and, and that, that's sold, not, not butts in the seats. That's, that's right. sold. That's, that's sold. So that means their, their season ticket load is probably 12. And I'm saying it used to be 30. I mean, how do you? Some, is it? It's got to be price. It must have. I mean, I. I uh, well, that's part of it. The other part of it is nobody's interested in the White Sox. Well, I'm talking about the, nobody in Cleveland is interested in the White Sox. Well, but, I wonder what it is when the Yankees come to town. But I'm saying I, I ran into one of my I had dinner with one of my buddies last week, and he said he finally he had he had everybody. He had uh, he had Bears, he had Sox, he didn't have never had Cubs, he saw Cider. It, and he had bulls, and he had uh, Blackhawks. He goes, I finally got rid of the socks. I mean, I got rid of all of them. He goes, I, I'm not. He goes for four seats. I'm not sending these guys a check for forty five grand or some. I mean, it's ridiculous. Why not? That's why I like college basketball. It's very yeah, it's but a I, bargain but price. You, you wonder, it's what, great. Yeah, you wonder what exactly is is causing you know the th- is it a, is it a combination of factors? It's people got to have it going places and COVID, and all of a sudden, I mean, I'd love to see. The season ticket rolls of uh, the average team between you know three years ago and now. And people just say once you didn't buy them for two years, you you found something else to do with the twenty grand, and when it came time to pay it the next year, you didn't do it or what? Uh, you know, I saw, that, saw that's probably true because we spent two years telling people to go away. Yeah, uh, and 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 now we say okay, you can come back, and well, maybe you know, <laughs> maybe I'll see you, maybe I'll come out for a few games, and and they may have to retrench and get good again at getting walk up or not necessarily walk up but you know short short notice um you know when when you're going to come to a game when i lived in milwaukee i used to be able to do that all the time i'd say i want to go to the game tonight um and uh, and so i just go online and uh, and uh, get a ticket and it would get emailed to me and i'd be good to go um you know those days. I, I don't know what what it's like up there now, um, but I, I think those days are gone for a lot of people. Well, when I went to see the uh, Pittsburgh fact, Stadium, Arizona's the the cheapest. They do an average of uh, family, so they compare all the stadiums. 
So the highest price for a family of four to attend a game is the Toronto Blue Jays, and that's four sixty-one. And the most affordable is uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, one forty-four twenty-five. Wow! So for families, Arizona's uh, doing well. Well, I went to uh, Pittsburgh and just show you how this is a while ago because I wanted to see all these stadiums and. Of course, I don't have a ticket. This back when you had there were tickets. I just show up and I'm going to buy one out front. All of a sudden, Kevin, it's a Friday night. They have zero season ticket load. I won't say zero, but not much of one. It's a beautiful night. They're playing the Cubs, and all of a sudden, you know, everybody's walking across the Clemente Bridge. They've got like two windows open. They got like 15 windows there, but only two of them are open. There's a line of like 50 people. I'm going. I'm not going to wait in that line. I guess I'm. I guess I'm just not going to go to this game or go sit in a bar across the street. And all of a sudden, some guy comes by and uh, he goes, hey, my, my buddy was supposed to come with me. Uh, uh, you know, his, something happened. His wife had to go doctor or something. So I got an extra ticket. So I paid him. We sat out in a spot and talked to the guy. It was great. Or else, but, but, you know, I don't know what it is. I mean, the, the whole idea of just, when I mean, you and I remember, whenever you went to a game, nobody had season tickets. You just went and bought it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a... Hey, I got a question for you. Well, i, I, yeah. I got to ask you before you get away, unless you're going to ask me a sports question. Um, I, we, we have to deal with your, your strange infatuation with Patrick Wisdom. Um, I just... It's hard for me to see how a guy... I mean, I, first of all, he's an older guy, like we are. And he, he works his way up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we were that old, oh, what, 35 years yeah, ago? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so, so the dude manages to work on his game in the first three weeks of the season he's leading the league in home runs and he's yeah. been, you know and all of a sudden the, the guy's sitting all the time and the team needs runs and I'm thinking well he wasn't sitting all the time well but my point is is I don't I don't they're in this mishmash of ideas this this is sort of different than it used to be Kevin I mean I read some some stuff not that long ago about some guy who batted 310 in, in AAA back when you only had 16 teams for the Yankees or somebody and he never even got invited to spring training. And the next year he hit like 325, and he just was invited up, and he's the regular right fielder or left fielder, whatever the hell he was. And there were guys that had so – but they bring these guys up, and, and there's, there's this testing phase in the major leagues where they don't really spend that much time in AAA. The competition mustn't be that good or something. And all of a sudden you've got to play them at the – this is why the Yankees and the Dodgers have a lot of money. Other teams do this for them. Where they, they get these younger guys to play a couple of years, they look like they're pretty good, and then the Yankees and the Dodgers go buy them from, from somebody else or get them in a trade or do something. But now, the Cubs right now, they, I mean, I, I, don't, I like to see them put their best people on the field for me to go watch them today. And the other guys, if they belong in the minors, they belong in the minors. I mean, I, the team, that division to me is, is weak. Uh, actually, I'll stop talking about wisdom. I, I like the guy from the White Sox, he can still play, he can still hit. And he's what? He's twenty-seven. Which which guy from the White Sox? The second baseman. Now now he, he taught himself to play third. Is it Madrigal? Oh yeah, Madrigal. You know there was a yeah guy. yeah Madrigal is a, uh, um, a two forty-seven hitter with a two eighty-six on base percentage, which is terrible. You know league well, average okay, run, runs around three twenty. All right, but what, what I uh, here's here's but, my but 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 wait a minute. Wisdom has played forty-two out of forty-seven games. So they're not exactly sitting them. In fact, the only guy who's played more games is uh, the only guys who played more games are Swanson and Hap. Okay. So they're not exactly sitting him, and he's not exactly tearing it up. Um, he did for the month of April. He's hit two home runs in May and yeah. only and and none in the last two weeks. 
uh, and he's on pace to strike out 217 times, and he's one for 16 over his last five games. All right, where, where, where I'm going, it's not just I. I'm not sure I want that guy hitting fifth every right, night okay. like he was last night. All right, here, here's here's my. It's not it's not him. It's not him personally. That uh, just the name that comes up. Uh, this this idea somewhere along the line, you've got to you got to figure out what your lineup is, and your you you need to put your power guy someplace where the guy in front of him. Is fast. He's going to get on base. He's going to bother the pitch. You need to put these people together in such a way where they complement each other. That, that's what the '69 Cubs did. That's what when Ryan Sandberg batted behind Bobby Dernier or Jerome Walton, all of a sudden he was he was God. Other years he was just above average. I mean, so I, th- I think there's a lot more in that to baseball than the stat geeks today will will, will have you believe. And and having some, you know, I think. If you have a power hitter, he reminds me a little bit of Ransay. If Ransay, no, he reminds me a whole lot more of Dave Kingman, except for the one good year that Kingman yeah. had when he when he shortened his stroke. You ever see that guy in person? Kind of see a huge man. He's huge. He's like six 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 seven shoulders, like twice as wide. I mean, he's he's a monster. I saw him at the uh, sporting goods show with all the football players. He was bigger than any of those guys. It's a huge. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, he was huge. But I, mean, I guess what I'm saying is somewhere along the line you've got to get your lineup and you've got to have people comp. You don't, I, don't, I don't like the idea of somebody batting second one night and eighth the next. I mean, either. I mean, if the, the only reason why Ransay had a career is because the Dodgers batted Reggie Smith behind him. You could never pitch around the guy. Cause been, well, I, I understand that, but when you're talking about putting guys in front of your power hitters, you're talking... Nico, I mean, this is the same lineup almost every night. Right, it is. Nico, Nico yeah. Horner, Dansby Swanson, Ian Happ, Seiya Suzuki, and then it's it becomes mix and match depending on who they need to get into the, you know. The, yeah. I mean, I think they're trying to figure out what the rest of the lineup is. I don't think they know yet. What do you What do you think the the long term deal is going to be on Suzuki? Suzuki, um, it, it is really really hard to say. Yeah. Uh, when I look at him now, he's you know he's up to. Uh, he's up to 283. He's on base uh, on uh, 3.370, which is pretty damn good. Um, his uh, he's just starting to show a little bit of extra base power after, but he was out. He was out for yeah. a long time with a with an oblique strain, and that's a tough recovery, even when you're cleared to play. To you know, I mean, yeah. just sort of sort of think about how that might affect your hitting. So I don't know yet on on him. Um, I thought he had an okay first year, uh, but now as we're looking at it, uh, well, because they got to find a spot for this Moreau. Oh some, yes, some, they do. Somebody's got to go. Well, it's, uh, somebody's going to have to go. And you sort of look at the outfield right now um, when uh, uh, when uh, what's his name? The come on. Bellinger. Uh, this, uh, Bellinger, thank you. When Bellinger comes back off the DL, um, he's going to move back into center field. So you're going to have Hap Bellinger and uh, Suzuki as your outfielders. So that's hard for a, play, a hard place to uh, for uh, Morel to find I'm thinking, time. And, and yeah. honestly, I think Bellinger's a placeholder, but I don't think he's a placeholder for Morel. I think he's a placeholder for uh, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong. I think, I think Suzuki might be the admin out. 
Well, he he might be, but you know he's got a per, you know if if he performs really well, he's not going to be because he's a, he's a very good outfielder too. Well, can Morel play um, third so, base? Yes, other? he can. He did last year a lot. Let's see, that's, so that's another spot. That, that's a spot that's open. I think that that may be where you see Christopher Morel, and they still have other products or uh, prospects. Uh, you know, it's not just Pete Crow Armstrong, but you got Brennan Davis in the minors. Yeah, he's an outfielder. Know, Kevin, we've you've been got, how many people? Those people that got hurt and never made it. I mean, you can't you can't. I, I, I understand that, but you get you get enough highly regarded prospects in your system. Some of them are going to make it, and so what I'm telling you is, you know, that when you got a, a guy like Pete Crow Armstrong, who is who is graded off the charts, hardly anybody gets an, an 80 grade in, uh, for defense. He is the highest rated outfielder in the minor leagues. Um, so you know you're talking about a guy that even if he proves to be nothing more than a, a 250, 260 type of hitter, and he's better than that, um, but if he proves to be nothing but that, his defense is going to be so damn good. He's going to be well, like I mean, Bell. He's going to be like Bellinger. All he has to do is hit better than Bellinger has over the last few years. I don't. I don't uh, disagree with any of that. These people are. But I'm saying we've seen at every level. The Sacks uh, have had some people that all of a sudden they, they don't play. I mean, the kid that you got from the Cubs, he's never in a lineup to the point where you got to wonder. This guy, kid Makata at third base, he's he's all world. And he plays 20 games a year, it seems. Well, everybody on the Sox plays 20 well, games a year. Did but you I mean, see, I, uh, uh, Robert had to leave the game last night. Yeah, with a, but I remember, uh, remember Corey Patterson, an absolute can't miss. You know, he was he was more, he was minor, minor league player of the year, like two years in a row. He came up. I was there that day. He hit first base, and all of a sudden his knee was shot, and he never came, never did much anything. I mean, well, he also different. swung at everything on, you know, well, didn't matter. Was, his, his strike zone was about from his hair to his ankles. Well, the big chop Choi. I mean, he, he got hurt and never came back. Uh, he, he never did. That was, uh, he stopped Choi was, was a strange case because yeah. you're right. He, he got that concussion and he was never the same guy. And he actually was a pretty good player. I, I, I saw the Cubs play when I lived in Milwaukee. I saw them play up there. He actually hit the scoreboard with a home run. Oh, he's big, big, strong kid. Who was the kid who got stabbed with the bat? He was never the same either. Who yeah. got stabbed with the bat? He was coming home from, from third base and, uh, the guy swung and the bat shattered and the bat stuck in his chest. Remember that story? Well, that that might end a career. Well, yeah, but he came. <laughs> but he wasn't. He wasn't like dead or anything. I mean, they, they, you know. But he he was never the same. Never the same after. He, the Cubs traded him, and I don't know. He he went nowhere. I forget what his name was. Anyway, I got a question for you regarding. Uh, you see, one of the things. I mean, the, the theme again. The theme of, of whatever the show is. N- none of this economic stuff, Kevin. None of this stuff is matching up, and it's it's all moving towards screwing the regular person, which is which is you and me and our listeners. I mean, today, headline on a, on a uh, whatever CNBC site was mortgage rates top seven percent. Well, how the the ten year is? Uh, I got I'll get the absolute number right now. TNX is what three point seven. Well, that that's. That's 3.3. The average over the 30-year, over the, the, the relationship normally is 1.7%. Why is it 3.3 what people are paying and what they're getting? What, what, is, what is the story with this? this? You know, you go to a bank, you're paying 30% of your credit card, but they're not giving you a diamond. Is this, is the, are people commanded this long conversation with Mr. Greg Pappas the other day after the show? Why are people comfortable with this crap, these... I'm not sure what you do about it, but 
But why? This is that's not. exactly there's your answer right there. What are you going to do about it? Do our do our is there? I mean, I and I and, and there will be, see the the problem is that this is this is federally subsidized. So you know, for for what it's worth, and and I don't think it's it's all that much. <laughs> um, you know, you're you have some safety level for your deposits in a bank that you don't have if you take them to some other intermediary. Um, so, you know, it's it's a that's a big subsidy, um, and it's hard for competitors to overcome it, which is a shame because this is a situation that is screaming for competitors. Now there are some, you know, there are I, I am seeing some places that are paying, you know, like five percent on six month CDs and things like that that are banks or credit unions in the area. So you're starting to see that shake loose a little bit, right? Um, but um, you know, I, I I don't know why they even think they have to compete because they they don't. I know there's other places that are you know they'll they'll tell you if you if you do enough you know if you have enough transaction activity we'll give you half a percent on your checking account balance. Well, well thanks for that. I see. <laughs> I see. Recall the savings and loans, which everybody said were so inefficient and everything. I couldn't wait to get rid of them. And I, I honestly do believe, thinking back, that Volcker might have done it on purpose, but. I think people got three, three and a quarter on their passbook, and the mortgages were six. I mean, I think the spread was. Oh, I think they, actually, I think they were up to like four and a half, five on their on their passbook. Well, I mean, it, once when I'm talking before any of the crap started with the inflation, I'm talking before '68. I think okay. the, the rotation was most people's mortgages were six, six and a quarter, and I think you got like three, three and a half in your passbook. So there was a, you know, I would say a two point seven. Spread now. What, now, why with the government subsidizing and all this other crap in the middle? Why are we over three? It should be getting lower, not higher. And yet it's not. I mean, you know, the the idea that that a bank charges somebody thirty percent and or twenty four percent on a uh, uh, credit card, you know, they're giving you nothing to bring. I, this this is, I guess, it goes back to uh, what we talked about when we first came on. You first came on, Kevin. Who is who is orchestrating all this stuff? You look at these. These guys chirping around in the House of Representatives and half the senators, they're not smart enough to put this kind, but it's almost like in the midst of the whole city, there's there's one room with a curtain and there's three or four people that are absolutely orchestrating all this stuff in a way where the people there don't even... I remember when I was on the board of the SIBO, one of the guys, my big supporters, a guy named Larry Bloom, I think he's still alive, maybe he's not. Uh, it's a time when you... You gotta, I'll, I'll back you for the for the board, but you got to promise me one thing. And I go, what's that? He goes, if, I, if you ever find out who really runs the place, you've got to tell me. He goes, I can't figure it out. And Larry was on the board a bunch of times. He goes, there's stuff, Kevin, that just came up in agendas where he'd ask the staff, and I knew the staff pretty well. By the way, whose idea was this? I have no idea. <laughs> it was like there, were, there, there, were, there was a man in the room. It was like there was an elevator to the seventh floor CEO's office that was that only popped out when one guy went up there or something. There's some of this stuff coming out of Washington. Who's behind it? It's not the Democrats, Republicans. There's there, there's a there's a mission here to do something economically. There's some grand experiment going on, and it and it appears to be worldwide. It's not just here. So does yeah, that out is there some kind of tie to the World Economic Forum on this? I maybe I mean, I, I, I have no idea, or maybe everyone just is kind of dumb. Well, we I think the reason why the other people are dumb don't realize <laughs> is going on. I, mean, I, think I, I don't likely. think it's. 
I, I, I think the kind of dumb theory, uh, that I think that works, that, that, go, uh, that explains a lot, except that why are we dumb? Why are we not better educated? Why are we not better educated in civics, in the Constitution, and all those kinds of things, compared to what we were 30, 40 years ago? Well, Why is that stuff not being taught like it was? I think it's, and, it's and I for think a reason. Part of, that's part of the discussion. But who, but who's who's smart enough? Every looks at their politicians and all they do is complain about uh, they do a crummy job and they don't seem to know what the hell they're talking about. Every one of those individual people does not seem to me to be the mastermind behind something like this. Who could it be? Well, how how much have we talked about how compromised so many politicians uh, must be? Well, that's that's yeah. I think everybody's owned by somebody. I mean, uh, so yeah. So if you, you know, what what was the uh, um, the uh, Grisham novel? Uh, um, oh shoot, it took place in Tennessee. The firm. Yeah. You know, what, you know what was the whole mission? Compromise the uh, compromise the guy, and then you get him to do do your bidding. Um, compromise somebody who had no intention of being compromised. Uh, and you get them to do your bidding. I don't know, Tom. I don't know where all of this is. You know, is is it could you know could we really have that coordinated an effort? Well, um, you look at and, and and are people pulling it off and they're managing to do it behind the scenes, or uh, you know, and and I don't know. It's just hard to believe that so many things are falling into place just by accident. Well, I I go back, Kevin, when this kind of started for me. Because I met these people, I didn't meet Hastert, but somehow, if you went back and looked at, maybe you should get Wayne in when he might know one of these days. The idea of orchestrating the demise of Rostenkowski, who was a really independent guy and a pretty powerful guy on his own, the demise of him for for stamps, which who nobody gives a flying bleep about, and all of a sudden he gets replaced essentially by Denny Hastert, who nobody knew anything about, and, and clearly had a massive thing behind him that somebody knew something about where the dude was totally controlled if you can find out who orchestrated that power change you probably have your answer but I I don't know how you can find that out just just be very wary of that Russell Rhodes guy he might be he, behind he, all Russell of might it. be behind all of this stuff it's got to be somebody in a cardigan sweater SB Futures down 18 <laughs> SA Futures down 62 be right back Stacks and Jacks Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They're located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. God. I'm the worst. <laughs> this self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep. 
Nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Hello, we're back. Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tamal. Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures now down 18. NASDAQ Futures down 65. So let's see. Russell's got to figure out who the man is behind the curtain in Washington. He's got to figure out why mortgage versus TNX spread seems a little high. He's also got to tell us what the economics of it is, why nobody's going to Cleveland games. Can you handle that, Russell, in an hour? Oh, I can probably keep up with all of that. You want to hear something kind of funny? Yeah. Okay, yeah, you had to answer the question. Um, the the movie The Firm, I'm in it for like half a second. Did you get paid? <laughs> so there, I did not get paid. So there, you weren't you weren't but, a pay, you weren't uh, yeah. a paid extra. No, it's uh, the chase scene at the end. They go all over downtown Memphis, and I just happen to be in the right place at the right time for a second. Well, you weren't like the baby but, carriage in the French Connection. It wasn't supposed to be there. And they almost hit the thing. No, I was not the baby carriage in the French Connection. Although I used to take the steps, you know that the baby carriage would fall down in the untouchables every morning when I'd get in my go from the train to my cab to go to work. Wow. Um, I know, but but yeah, no, just because I, I lived in Memphis when they shot the... I was still finishing up college in Memphis when they shot the firm there. So I think the girl, guys, I think the girl in the baby <laughs> carriage... Uh, was mm -hmm. either the girl in the baby carriage or the, or the, the untouchable guy's daughter or the baby at home. One of, one of the two babies ended up being the first baseman on my... My nephew's team. Uh, the, the world is so small. There's only really yeah. about twenty thousand of us. Yeah, and, uh, and was that, it, that's was, the answer to everything. There is there's really only a handful of us, you know, that that really truly exist, and the, and everything else is just a simulation. Well, the scary part so is, that, the, which which basically just answers all three questions yeah. you had for me. Well, the scary part was very. I mean, just a beautiful little blind girl. But my my buddy here, we used to come watch my nephew play. This is T-ball, right? Which, you know, uh -huh. of course, he's got the world's biggest scatter-armed infield. And she's playing mm -hmm. first base. And, <laughs> and, my, and my buddy who used to work with us, he goes, watch this girl at first base. Because she's an absolute natural. How many kids at age, wherever she was, eight, would know that you would see where the ball was coming and you'd pick which foot goes to the bag so you could stretch with the other one? There are major leaguers that don't know how to do that. But still don't know, don't do that. Don't right. do that. And yeah. she, and he goes, she's an absolute natural. I don't, know, I don't know what happened. She went on to play softball somewhere or whatever at some college. I hope she did. But I mean, she, you don't, you don't, talent like that, you can't, you can't stamp into somebody. I mean, it, uh, maybe, maybe it was, you know, it, it, I don't know. We've got a, we've got a family here that's uh, pimping her out to be a, a child actor when she's in a crib. No people in the trading yeah. floor used to do that. <laughs> you know, you know. Yeah, I know. I got a, a weird story. I won't say the guy's name, but he was this crazy trader in the OEX. Matter of fact, I ran into him with the fifty-year thing. Well, his wife was, uh, let's say, nuttier than him. But that's you know a nice mm -hmm. thing to say. And she had the kids, and she's probably five foot five one on a bad day, right? So she's got the kids. And all these studios were over on the west side, 
before the west side mm-hmm. was now you know Randolph Street Market area. It was a shady area. So, so she brings the baby over there for some kind of filming, and these two dudes try and like carjack her. And insta- oh my god! Well, instead of yeah. of her like getting the hell out of there, she follows the two dudes down the alley and pins them with the front of the car up against the garage door and calls the police. Now that's who you want to be married to. <laughs> I said, how do you? The guys. That's who you want on your side. The guys kept running. They must have thought the garage door was don't open, didn't? And she, she, she didn't smash them. She pinned them up against the door. I the just cops. love it. Yeah. I, I hope she slightly broke both of their legs. Uh, it just I I don't I don't I didn't get it. Yeah. I didn't want to hear the rest of the story. But I'm like, you got to be out of yeah. your mind. <laughs> it's like, that's fantastic. Oh yeah, that's almighty. But I mean, they, Chicago was so, a was a big. Uh, Baby model town for a while. Oh yeah. What do you? What do you but I, th- I yeah. think don't you? Don't you have to have? Uh, if it's for like a TV show or something, don't you have to have twins? Uh, you used to. They they had rules. Uh, they they had production rules where uh, certain certain kids under a certain age weren't supposed to work too many hours. So the way you got around it was that's that's why we have the Olsen twins. Okay. I mean, I, I, there were there were rules behind how many you know you can't you can't take a three year old out there and and make them work a full eight hour a day. You, they just can't do that unless it's in a unless it's in a mine getting the metals that Elon Musk needs for the uh, for a Tesla. Well, they used to but, do that you know, back in the day. How you know Mickey uh, Rooney, oh, know. And, Mickey Rooney, and all his child daddies used to give him drugs all day to keep him awake. Yeah. Oh, crazy so. stuff. All right. So what's what's uh. Are you guys done with school? Done with finals? Uh, we are. No, I've already started up teaching derivatives for the summer. Really? It never ends, man. Well, there's always somebody that I needs uh, needs well, something. Well, I, I we we talked about this before. We've got the graduate school's quarters in the undergrad semesters. So, like, I was doing the first week of graduate school and the last week of an undergrad semester last week. And now I'm just uh, I'm just teaching graduate teaching derivatives to graduate students, which, which I real which is my favorite thing to do. Which do you like better, the semester or the quarters? I like the quarters; they go quick. Well, that that's true. <laughs> I feel no. Well, I feel like, and I, as a student, um, I would always go in the summer to try to you know keep up or get ahead or whatever I needed to do, and the summer classes were shorter. And I like the quarters because I feel like I don't get burned out and lose interest with a quarterly class. With a semester, it just—I I don't know—I'd I, start to lose my focus toward the end. Yeah, so it's, it's, I like the quarter—I I like the quarter system better. His daughter' name was semester, and University of Chicago was quarters. I, I don't yeah. know which I had. I think some, there was some good to both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't so I've—I've I've just always been a bit. I think DePaul may be the only undergrad school that's doing the only other one that I know of that does quarters for the undergrads as well. I think uh, a lot of state schools in Illinois all do quarters. I think with Western and Eastern, those places are all quarters. Oh, do they? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. They've—they've they've never invited me on campus, no. so there. No, so, what are we? I—we're—we're I, we're talking about everybody who you know. There's people behind the scenes uh, controlling everything. I think there's probably you know their lifetime. They're, they're lifetime bureaucrats in D.C., and I feel like they can impose their will with certain administrations more than they can with others. And Biden's administration may be one where they can, they, they've got a little bit more leeway uh, with respect to what they want to try to push on everyone. So I do, I do believe that there are probably, it's not like a nefarious, 
um, you know, Rothschild family controlling the world, but I do think that there are probably people in key spots that have things they'd really like to push through. And when you've got a relatively, you know, I, God love him. He's just, you know, a doddering old guy now. That's, that's what we've got as our president. And we're in a situation where we've got a relatively weak president who can only focus on so much. And people, people that have agendas are looking at it as their opportunity. And that's where all this crap's coming from. Well, I mean, there's nobody... There, there's people that have... Uh, it's like we got a substitute yeah. teacher running the country right now. But there's no, you can get away with a lot the, on the substitute man, teacher day. But the man, I, I would say that if you and I are 90, okay, or, or 100, or hopefully we make something anywhere near there, we're still with our faculties. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm never going to... I'm never going to not have a a real concern about antitrust. I'm never going to not have a real concern about economic stuff. I don't know exactly, I mean, well, Biden or Trump, what what their convictions ever really were when it, when it comes to governance and things. I mean, there's no there's no commitment of this guy into having uh, you know competitive markets. There's no commitment of mm-hmm. any kind into into, into some of the economic principles that you and I, I think, share. I mean, there's in, in my lifetime in this business, I've seen the bigger firms just get bigger and bigger and bigger and squeeze everybody the hell else out. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's been it's been a relentless where if they got some wacky people on a board someplace, like maybe me and five other people, they just they just back off a year or two years, and then all of a sudden we're gone and they push again. And whoever mm-hmm. it is, the big just keeps keep getting bigger and. and uh, and re- relentlessly, without any regard to the people that go along the way, and I, I don't know how you, I don't know how you come back from that. I mean, th- this COVID made things even worse, where you gave money to one group and not another. I mean, God, yeah. most, I mean, I, I, I mean, I know you, you are becoming, you always were, but you become very observant just walking around and look at where all the money is and where it isn't. I mean, it's it's really something, and I don't, I don't think of it is. It's not just. I don't think it's healthy, economically healthy. It's not just, gee, I wish no. I, would, I wish I was a gazillionaire, and I wish I'd have gotten you know ten million dollars on a PPP or something. It's it's not that. It has yeah, a, it's it, you, you you want you know I'm thrilled for the guys that have made a billion dollars by actually creating something. Me too. But when you and, and and you know, unfortunately, this is the easiest target on this. But you know. Were we were we screaming and yelling about what the actual business of the Biden administration is, or what the Biden family is? Well, I mean, you know, they've got they've got all these shell companies, but what, what do they actually do or produce? Nothing. Exactly, and that that that's where I start to get. You know, I my biggest pet peeve. You know, we I I, I half joke about you know professor stuff and kids being irritating and things like that. If I catch you cheating, I will lose my freaking mind. That that's the, I, I, that's that's just my biggest pet peeve. I would rather you, you know, come to me and say my boyfriend broke up with me and I got no sleep and I'm working three jobs and I just didn't have time to study for this thing. Can I have a couple of extra days, as opposed to me catching you cheating? Because I just because you're getting something for nothing. Right. And in any case of somebody getting something really for nothing. Um, gets me pretty fired up, and I understand you know a safety net for people that are having a difficult time getting by. You just don't want you know you, you don't want a family of four 
if both parents lost their jobs and they're falling a little bit behind, thrown out on the curb. Well, I, I think you, know, you you want you, you want a safety net. You you want a you want a safety net for all of society, but it, you don't want it to be a a lifetime crutch. Well, you can't be in a situation, and, and you and I both know. I mean, you weren't on, on the floor as much as me, but there were always a few people that, you know, shall we say, pushed the envelope and the rules. But, oh yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. I, but, oh, but I never I, I, I never yeah. I never felt, and most people on the floor never felt that it got to the stage where you couldn't win unless you cheated too. It, it, it never got mm-hmm. there. And somehow or another, what's going on in Washington right now, the, the, I mean, you read this stuff. I mean, I, you know, this is not stuff I'm pulling out of my behind here. The big article about the Wall Street Journal about how many people in the energy department are trading energy stocks and how many people in other places where they're regulating. Oh, regular, my gosh. You know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. But, but somewhere, somewhere, I mean, you compare this, you know, to the Paul Simons of the world, to the even some of the representatives who were in my neighborhood when I was younger. I won't say a kid. They were just a little older than me. Those guys, mm-hmm. they went to Beverly Country Club on somebody else's dime. A representative didn't make anywhere near as much money as a guy in a, in a law firm here at his same age. Yeah. I mean, if, now all of a sudden all of a sudden, you get there, and, and I don't know if it's the price of housing and whatever. If, if you're not cheating, you think you're being harmed or something. I mean, if everybody else is trading this stuff and you're not, it's almost like it, it's exactly the opposite of the way I felt on the trading floors. Now, if I don't cheat, I can't, I can't exist here. Or something. We've almost reached that level, and I, you know, I, the idea of these regulations that keep coming out—they harm small firms. They they do this. They do that. Uh, I I don't. This whole this whole thing has become a big sort of mess. Where if you're not paying off some lobbyists or this guy or that guy, you're not you're not getting anywhere. And the amount of money that they throw out in these bills. I was uh, had a conversation uh, last week with actually a bunch of people. We had a dinner. And these are all these people are, are either independent entrepreneurs or there's something. And they talk about like the money in politics, and this is what I really wanted to get talk to you about today. And is is the the incredible amount of cash that you can't even? I said to these people, don't you get any idea if it's a hundred, say it's five billion dollars to run a president for office? So there's got to be fifty companies in this world, maybe five hundred, that would gladly pick up that whole tab. Or for a government, if they knew, if they knew it was going to be good for them, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the amount of money these guys, guy. the amount of money these guys are winging around with these trillion-dollar mm-hmm. bills, or some of these these little tax things that certain people get, it's it's hard for anybody, certainly even me, who manages a lot of money for a lot of people. These numbers are way above my pay grade. I don't, I don't know what I'd do if I ended up getting a trillion-dollar account, Russell. I'm like, where, you, where, where you do know, I even start with this thing? You know. And it's it's a wide and, and everybody freaking knows this. And you, you, even even the you know the big pre, you know the the NBC, ABC, CBS News, and everything. What do they talk about when when you've got a president in his second term? That's when he can actually get some stuff done because he doesn't care about getting reelected. Well, yeah, except so, but, but all of a sudden now he's a lame duck. The, the, yeah, the, well, he's a lame duck, but also it's like you know. In in his second term, because he, he can you can actually try to do you can do one of two things you can sit on your ass and and count the days to retirement, or if you really do want to try and get something done, your second term is the time that you can really get it done. It, it would be really nice if if that same sort of urgency got lit under you know the five hundred and thirty five people in Congress. 
But you, you have to have... If, uh, you, if you went there to do something and you've only got... You know, even if the term limit for the House of Representatives is only like, you know, 12 years, which I think would be long enough that you'd have people with institutional experience, but short, you know, short enough that you don't have lifetime politicians that, you know, come out of there with hundreds of millions of dollars yeah, that, that they've that, been able to scrape on the side. I, that's just not... Well, plus I have a real problem know, with the wife or the husband making all the dough outside of Congress when the person's maneuvering business to him or him or no. her. But, you know, yeah. here's but, a... But, but, you know, Russell, you can shut me off on this if you want, but I think if you and I were in there, we'd have to, we'd have to be a little south side. And when I say that, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. if the, the first term, the reason why, if if you're a popular first term president, which I don't know if this guy ever was, or Trump ever was, but if you if you're no. a popular first term president and you try and put a get a, a couple of bills through right out of the gate, you know, like the Roosevelt's hundred days thing or something, the person who votes against you has to have some kind of fear that. Come next election, you're gonna you're gonna support the guy running against him or girl. Uh, I like there, there has to be some yeah, yeah. there has to be. I have to say, can you use the carrot and the stick? You I mean you better? I mean if if somebody says, uh, you know you're, you you got this uh, bill that you really care about, we're, we're redoing. You know maybe we'll try make a second try to fix the, the health care system. If somebody's whining about it because they're not getting enough money for somebody who gave them dough, you say, okay, you got money from this guy, from Pfizer, say. Tell you what, I'm going to get this thing passed without you. And I'm going to make a beeline to your district a year from now. And who's ever running against you, I don't care if it's a, if it's a bull terrier, I'm going to back that person. You really want to take that chance? I mean, no, I, you really don't. But I, I don't think I don't know if it ever loops around to getting that specific. I I think it does. Do <laughs> Support. Really? I think you, it does. I, I mean, you you gotta have well. So let's you know, there's 435 in the House, and those are the ones that really have to that are most concerned about getting reelected over a short period of time. And among those, what percentage do you think are are, are in a district where they really are at risk? Um. You know, where, where, how many how many sway votes do you have in there? That you, like, I, and what I'm doing is I'm sitting here thinking, all right, you can't do that to Pelosi, you can't do that to AOC, right? Um, you can't you can't do that to uh, Steve Cohen, who you don't know, but is has been the rep for inner city Memphis for a million years since I lived there. Um, you can't. I mean, there's there there are lots. Of, you know, you couldn't have done that to Rostinkowski. Um, until until you could, I guess. At the yeah, end until there. you could. But but there there's so many of them that are already so freaking entrenched, they don't really have a whole lot to worry about. But then it's um, then it's their, they, it's they can, their own. So you can't you can't even do that to eighty five or ninety percent of them. No, I, I it's guess really, so. it's the brand it's the brand new ones that that you can do that. You to. can you can if if you're if you're popular enough and, and you ride a wave in, anybody who really doesn't support you if, if you're articulate. You can make them look bad. You may not. You may not get them out of there, but you. It wouldn't yeah. be a nice day for them. Yeah. I'm not saying this is the way we yeah. want to run our politics, but, but that's. I mean, Rostenkowski's big deal was, he had the he had the one of the first. He had the biggest pack. I don't, I, mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if he knew that if he knew that or not, but, because uh, people would give him money to run, right? 
and he never needed it because he ran out of post. So, yeah. so he had a, he had uh, yeah. a huge pack. So if, if Russell Rhodes is, is running for office in Minnesota and he knows that he, he likes you and uh, thinks that you're whatever, I mean, if, if somebody could be supporting him or supporting whatever he's up for, he's going to – and this is, this is how a lot of this all started. He'd say, Russell, I, I, can, I can give you some dough, but one of these days I'm going to need you. But he was smart enough that one of the guys in uh, – I ran into a dude in Washington, uh, and he was a Democrat – but he, but he was a sheriff. Get a load of this, Russell. He was a sheriff, and there was this big crime. He was in uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania, somewhere. It was a Republican area. And he he solved the crime, like, right away. And, and he got uh-huh. all this note. And he's a real, real nice guy. I was talking to him. And he goes, all of a sudden, I, 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 uh, this thing solves. I mean, we did the right stuff. I mean, our, my guys were good. And we did this really great police work. It, but He goes, but it was nothing other than I was supposed to do. It just, I guess, <laughs> doesn't happen that often. So it just so happens the Republican guy is retiring. So this guy ends up in a traditionally Republican seat as a Democrat in Washington. And uh, he goes, uh-huh. thank God the guy had seven people. Who, he goes, I don't know anything about politics. He had seven ladies working for him as assistants. I managed to talk five of them into staying with me. He goes, without them, I wouldn't know where the can was. He goes... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he goes. I'm just, and plus he goes. Plus I got totally screwed in my committee assignments. He goes. In, in Hershey, he goes. It's not like Chicago, where nobody knows when anybody votes on, or nobody cares. I mean, Bobby Rush or anybody like that. He goes here. Every oh, they yeah. He, he, here, here it's your absolute front page. He goes. So I, I end up getting on a uh, the two committees they put all the freshmen on are the Armed Services Committee because all you're doing is voting. You know, the same stuff every year. The other one's the Agriculture Committee, which is a no, low-level one. You have to come up with an agricultural bill every five years. Well, that was the year of the huge St. Louis floods, and it was the years on gays in the military. He goes, so <laughs> he goes, he goes. I'm voting for on the, on the was it member to don't ask, don't tell. And yeah. He goes. Ev- yeah. Everybody in Hersey is outraged that I voted for this thing because they're all, you know, very conservative, very anti-gay. And he goes, I vote. But, so, but, but Rasenkowski, he goes, he goes, Danny comes to me and he says, hey, I don't need you on the bill. He goes, but I need you to, to vote it to come to the floor. Help me out there mm-hmm. and you can vote no on the bill and save your ass, basically your people at home. <laughs> so that was, the, that was the deal he made with Danny. So he goes, so I voted no, even though I wanted to vote yes, to basically to save my seat. <laughs> But, but I voted to get it to the floor where we knew it would pass once it got here. Well, and, uh, you know, just backtracking a little bit, um, if, if he he's a representative, right? Yeah. Isn't he supposed to just basically be representing what, what these people want? He was he was not anti-gay, and his group was very okay. yeah. well. And I'm not, and it's not the topic part. It really yeah. isn't the topic. It doesn't matter what it is. It, unfortunately, we're, my our example right now is a very hot button thing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, he, he he's supposed to vote for if you're representing an area, aren't you supposed to you know kind of be their collective vote in I, certain I think situations? It, it, and th- hopefully, and that, isn't that the idea that that you do what they want, and then well, hopefully if you, you did a good enough job doing what they want, they put you back there. If I, not, they put somebody else there. I would say that uh, you have an obligation, sort of, to do the right thing. I don't. If I'm in a, if I'm in a district where everybody wants uh, people to be able to own a tank, 
and a mortar. I think I'm not going to. And you it. and you know and and you're the adult in the room, and you're like, uh, no. Yeah, I'm not going to. That's do that. not a good idea. You know that that that's a that's a bad idea, and I'm doing it, and and I'm voting this way, even though it's not what you want, because it's for your own good. Trust yeah. me on that one. I think they're probably, you know, one out of twenty times. Yeah, one out be, of twenty times. Maybe maybe not even that much. Hopefully but never. Hopefully I can, never. I can I can, I can yeah. understand. I I can understand that one. But then, you know, all of a sudden, are are the people in government are are they just smarter than the rest of us and and. We should just do what they tell us to do because they know better than the rest of us all the time. Or should they be doing, you know, in general, what we would like them to be doing, which is what I think in a democracy we want or in a, you know, we're a representative. We're not we're not a democracy, but well, we are. We are at I'd say we we are in certain. We are at the very low levels, but, um, you know, we're a representative government. How's that? Well, if you we just you you know, know, we just had this discussion the other day and maybe you could add to it my point was the way a lot of people think it was designed is that you know most of your governorship for lack of a better term uh comes at the local and state level and that's that's very democratic yeah, yeah. it's it's the, no and that's exactly that's yeah. exactly how it's supposed to be we're supposed and and you know if alabama wants to do things one way god love them let them do things the way that alabama wants to do them a bunch of people from California don't need to, you know, jump in the car and go to Alabama and tell them how to run their state. Well, you know that. I there's, mean, always, that there's always a pushback. And again, and again, I know. Again, within reason, but you know, a lot of the a lot of the things that you know the that certain states are getting criticized for. It's it's what the majority of the people would like, and you're not overly impeding on other people's rights. Well, you're also in a situation yeah. where. And I don't know how you tie all this together, Russell, but I, one of the days I was on, uh, well, I always go back to my board stories, and I had to fly from, had to. I was I was at, in New York representing the SIBO at some conference, and then they were trying to, they, the SIBO, was trying to buy the C, uh, <clears throat> the PICO, so the next day I was on that double secret committee, so I had to fly from New York to San Francisco, which is, boy, that's a long kick. And you, mm-hmm. s- you sit in a plane, and you go, all right, for six hours, I look out the window this side, and I look out the window that side, I'm all for some sort of states' rights, but you know what? Mm-hmm. It, it's reached the point where you can't have 50 different places down there where, at one time, I think, Russell, I think possession of marijuana was life imprisonment someplace and it was a misdemeanor somewhere else. I mean, you, you sort of can't yeah. have that. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know how you, just because one group wants to be Bible thumping another, I mean, you, you can't have somebody driving through your town and slap them into life in jail because they bring. And they come from a state where it's you know it's it's a misdemeanor. I mean, it, I mean right. you, you got to have some sort of common sense on this. I I think. I mean, I don't. Know. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, in terms of uh, you know water rights and things like that, I don't think the people in Colorado should be telling us what to do or us telling them what to do. But but I mean, no. Uh, and and I can and I can even extend it to gun rights. Um, if you're you know, if, if you're next time you're you're driving in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night. And you see, like, a, a light off in the distance that's way off of the expressway somewhere. That's somebody living out there by themselves. Yeah. And if, as my wife and I put it, if you're living under the light, you you probably need uh, uh, to be able to protect yourself a little bit better than I do, you know, living, you know, within five feet of my next-door neighbor. Unless you, know you, don't, like, I mean? unless you don't like and, the next-door neighbor. Well, I, I, I like one of my next-door neighbors. But, um... 
But the whole, I mean, the whole idea there is, you know, the gun gun laws in Chica- in the city of Chicago and gun laws in you know the middle of Tennessee should be very. I, there, there is an you know there there is a reason that they should possibly be different. Right. Hey, we come back from break. Would you yeah. mind opining on what Kevin and I were talking about regarding is is the the government essentially designed to to run the the business part of it, the the money part of it, in the proper way. Uh, the, the, we currently, I mean, obviously, you and I have talked a lot about uh, designing executive compensation packages to essentially try and force people to be in their best interest to do the things that everybody wants them to do for the long run. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, is is this? Not the same way. SP futures down 17, NASDAQ futures down 90. We still can't get a bid here. Uh, we're very packed, stocks and jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Stocks, jocks, Stocks jocks, stocks, and jocks. You are out of control. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Mm-hmm. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right now, right here, right now, right now, right now. Welcome back, Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tamar Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures down 18. NSA Futures down 72. Two kind of surprise uh, earnings this morning. Uh, Cold stores showed a profit. They weren't supposed to. Uh, they're up 246. That's over 10%. And the other one here, I'll get the, the actual number on the stack, is uh, Abercrombie and Fitch, uh, which would be a ANF. There we go. These guys are up they're up four bucks, uh, up to 27. So they're up like 15%. So both of them showed. I wonder. Well, I guess they uh, did better than people expected. I hope they just didn't raise prices, but who knows? Maybe they did. Uh, Dow futures down 79. Individual stacks are down. Nothing's going crazy. Common stacks down a buck 50. Uh, Salesforce down a buck twenty, United Health down a buck twenty. Nothing, nothing crazy in the Dow. Uh, over in Europe, we've got 
whack whack here. Uh, Dax down 254, 1.6%. FTSE down 128, 1.6%. Kakarana up down 123, 1.7%. So virtually across the board at a 1.7% drop. Over in uh, Asia, same thing. Nikkei down 275.8%. Hang Seng down 315, it's 1.6%. Shanghai down 41, it's 1.3%. The Shanghai shares are at a four-month low. Two days ago, Nikkei, Nikkei shares were like a 20-year high. So really been crazy over there between... Uh, you've been, if you've been along Japan, short China, you've been doing really well. I don't know if that's a spread anybody does. Uh, yesterday, Dow was down 231. S&P's down 47, NASDAQ down 160, so not a good day yesterday at all. Uh, bonds down one basis point, 3.69. The bond down two basis points, 2.44. Japan up one to 0.41. And we've got oil like, up again today. I guess the OPEC's having a meeting, and the guys have been warning about how much they're going to cut or whatever. So far, they're jawboning oil up a little bit. It's up a buck, 73.94. Brent up 99 cents, 77.82. Natural gas up two cents, 234. Arbob up another three cents, 269. Arbob's been up every single day this week, uh, and a little bit of last week. Gold up 10.30 now, at 19.84. Trying to get back to 2,000 here, but a ways to go. Silver actually unchanged. It was down earlier, 23.63. Copper down five cents, 360. We've got Bitcoin down 498. It's almost two percent, 26,695. And the U.S. dollar is mixed. It's uh, it's down a little bit to the euro, and it's up a little bit to the pound. So the euro's at one oh, a little under 108. The pound's a little over 124. So the dollar's been strong the last few weeks. Um, Greg, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports. If I had brought my broom to the Tripoli last night, first of all, I would not have probably been tossed out. But secondly, I'd, I'd have lost. Boston stayed in, eh? Get out the. <laughs> well, yeah. there wasn't, there weren't any brooms, and you would have been. Uh, Ceremoniously, yes, heaved. Yeah, heaved out the front. Yeah, so 7:36 Central Time, Chicago, 63 degrees, 66 is the high. Uh, 15 to 20, 15 to 25 mile per hour winds today. Phoenix, 76 degrees right now, high of 99, with 11 mile per hour winds. Traffic is pretty miserable. O'Hare to the interchange, 78 minutes. Eden's. Um, Lake Cook to the interchange, 86 minutes now. The Eisenhower Wolf to the interchange is 46 minutes. On the inbound Ryan, we've got 23 minutes from 95th. And the inbound Stevenson, Harlem to Dan Ryan is 27 minutes. Sports, White Sox beat Cleveland in Cleveland, 4-2. Cubs beat the Mets, 7-2 at home. And Arizona beat Philly, 4-3. NHL Golden Knights beat the Stars. That was 4-0. And NBA Celtics beat the Heat 116-99, to 3-1 in that series now. Back to you, Chief. You know, if they'd, have, if they'd have got swept last night, I don't I don't think, you can check this maybe just if I'm not wrong again, I don't think the finals were supposed to start till like a week from Thursday. So they would have had some time off? Yeah, but, but there's no, it's not like, you know, they're going to start two days after the other series are over. They, they have their dates, and they're sticking to them. Yeah, smart. Well, I don't know if it's smart or not. I mean, you take a week off when everybody's all kind of charged up to watch it. It's kind of weird. <laughs> just, Why not? Just saying. So, uh, Russell, the uh, we're, the conversation earlier, and we wanted your uh, professorial opinion, is as people talk about these numbers, and I, and I you know listen all day long to the talking heads, no, nobody. It's almost like verboten, as they used to say in the, the war movies, to even talk about the size of the problem. Um, 
I mean, Greg did this for us the other day when he when he timed the debt clock, and it, what was it, Greg? Uh-huh. Forty and a half seconds for every million dollars, and the fact that the federal budget is running, depending on how you calculate it, roughly thirty five percent in the hole every year. You know, uh, which we're not we're not even we're not even close, and uh, you know to the, to the and yet we're talking about if we can just get tweak this deal a little bit, everything will be okay because we can start borrowing again tomorrow. Russell, some someday somewhere, does somebody going to have to? And they had some older dude, older than me, and they're you know contemplating about this is really really a bad idea. We shouldn't be doing this because we voted for this stuff. The debt ceiling thing should be automatic, and yet I don't think that's true, Russell, because. So what 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 was the cause of of the inflate? What was the root cause of the inflation that that you know we experienced you know starting a, a little over twelve months ago and it's kind of dissipating now? I'm going to say, uh, well, part of it in the last several months was the amount of money they poured back in for the. Uh, that's I mean that, that's a big portion of it. Did you know, did did Biden stand up there and and say you know we got to do you know this, this inflation stuff is our fault and we we've, we've got to do something you know to 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 reverse it or did he sit up there and say oil companies got to start charging less they're yeah, gouging yeah. us for profits well he, he's, so he's that, been a that's non-manager. the issue right there is is when when the results and the results are periodic you know negative experiences for all of us. Uh, instead of saying, "Hey, you know what? We we messed up a little bit here, and we've got to make some changes so that you know so that things get a little bit better for the average person," um, or do they say, "You know what? Oil companies are charging too much." Hey, we're in the middle of a war economy. I mean, I'm. This is something he said. He said, "You got to understand, we're in a war economy now with what's going on with with Ukraine and Russia. You're going to experience some more inflation, which I'm sure that contributed some to it." But you know the the plate was the table was already set, where everything was extremely fragile, and it was going to take very little to, you know, spark a lot of inflation or possibly slow the economy as well. It's going to go one way or the other. So they the the problem is their their actions. Nobody ever calls them on it, and they're really good at pointing fingers at other folks as well and making us think, well, these freaking oil companies are charging a ton more money. They must be, you know, they're just gouging us for profits. When, in reality, they're just, uh, you know, they're just reacting to what their what their input costs are now, which again are a big function of some of the things that the some of the things the federal government's done. There are things that are in their control, and there are things that aren't in their control. And you know, flooding the world with money, which you know, I, I think I can teach a third grader that that's going to cause prices to go up. You can't teach. I, you can't teach Biden or Powell that it doesn't appear. They don't think there's any connection. They won't listen. They won't listen. They're too smart to listen. Well, I think what you've you, you seen, and that's why, and that's why I said a third grader because that's somebody whose mind you can still mold. I, uh, and, as you know, I'm a, I'm a tried and true monetarist. I mean, I, that'll never change. But Carl brought up something interesting. It's funny when when we're I learned from one person one day, one person the next, and and you're right. These, if you listen, who's the who's the knucklehead from Wart, uh, Wharton? It's on all the time. The little uh, the economist, Noriel Rabini. Oh, oh, not Rabini. Uh, the guy who's he's always a guest. No, Rabini, Rabini's Siegel. NYU. Siegel, yeah, um, Siegel. Yeah, he's talking about how yeah. the the money supply is is dropping 
you know, dramatically this and that and the other thing. And I, and you know what, Russell and, and Carl hooked me onto this. Uh, you know, he he does these sort of things. He hooked me onto this. He goes, Chief, l- look at the numbers. Yes, the, if you were to say the money supply has dropped, whatever it is, how many months in a row? Of course, we don't get the numbers very much. He goes, that you get one one argument. He goes, look at the look at the the difference in the numbers. I'm looking at the balance sheet here because they do this every every week here. The Fed uh-huh. balance sheet, and this is this I think maybe will will help you out what your what your what your uh, point you're trying to make here. And February 26, we're talking a month before COVID, was 4.1 trillion dollars. It uh-huh. ran it ran from there and it topped out at I'm going to say uh, eight nine six five. So it basically doubled in uh, two years. Okay, uh-huh. so. And then we we went from that was the tippy top eight nine six five, so it's well mm-hmm. over double. All right, so now we we dropped it down to uh, the low tick here was eight three four two as they were doing the how many billion a month. <laughs> then the Silicon Valley popped. They threw money in the next week like there's no tomorrow. They kicked. They went up to back to eight seven three three, and now it's it's receding again a little bit to eight five zero three. So they basically have gone from from four to almost nine, back to eight six. As Carl said, you know you're peeing in Lake Michigan at this point. There, there's yeah. so much. There's so much out there that unless you start, and I'm not. I'm not so sure. I'm not advocating this necessarily. He goes unless you pull back like two or three trillion. You're not. You're not like the money supply. You're not it, really it, making a dent. Yeah, you're it, not really making like, a dent. You know, it, it's like uh, you know Tesla stock gets hit one day and. It, you, you do the numbers real quick, and you realize that Elon Musk just lost three hundred million dollars. Is he poor now? Yeah, no, no. But I'm saying you know, the, the numbers are so know, huge. It, 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 we, you know, yeah, we, we pull in, you know, four hundred billion. We reduce something by four hundred billion, but but it's still at you know eight trillion. Yeah, and it's not. Yeah. We're we're not even. Yeah, it just, I mean, it, well, after yeah. after the Silicon Bank thing, they've been doing this. They've been lowering this balance sheet for. Freaking year and a half, and the week after the Silicon Bank, they were down, um, not even uh, two hundred billion. Actually, right about two hundred billion, after being up four and a half trillion. Well, what 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 have you done? I mean, you're not even. You're done five percent. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's I. I think that is uh, four four trillion. I think two hundred million is. Five percent, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, we're not, we're not um, even because I mean the, yeah. the money supply. Not five percent. I mean, I got yeah. a I got a, a good one for you here, and I, I sort of stuff. Hey, just to mess up with your day, uh, which I don't like to mess up your day. Uh, I mean, how do you? I, no, no wonder I have bad Wednesdays. I, yeah. I just figured that out. Go ahead. Well, I, what I'm trying to do is find the. I, I Milton Friedman used to say the worst thing about inflation was how uneven it is, how some people benefit and some don't, and clearly, oil yeah. companies benefit. Because if the price of gas goes up by forty percent, the price of the oil in the system is not up forty percent. It might be up five. You know, so they are they going to get that 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 huge thing? It's sort of like, you know, well, if the place was bigger, last week they had a festival on Armitage, and the Tripoli was not uh-huh. part of the festival. And all of a sudden, it started raining, and everybody poured in the front door of Tripoli. If they wanted to, they could have doubled the price of the beer, and everybody would have paid. They didn't. But I mean, I mean, you and I are probably <laughs> you and I are yeah. probably going to sneak up the price of umbrella in the downpour. I mean, it's just it's just the way the world is. But but if you uh-huh. look at 
this is a number that you should maybe use for your, your class. In uh, 2000, the money supply was $4.7 trillion, and now it's 20.4. So it's up roughly four and a half times, and I'm going to say your GDP is up two and a half times. So your inflation, your inflation has got to, it has to have doubled at least, maybe two and a half yeah. times. At least. And at least doubled. Yeah, at least doubled. And, and, yeah. and we've got it up for those years. We got it up like CPI says it's up like 0.6% or something. I think it's probably more like, actually, they got it up 0.7, And I think it's probably more like uh, at least double, 200%. Uh-huh. Over that period, but, but these numbers, you and I look at these numbers and say they all match up. Why do these other guys say they don't? Um, I think in re- I, I, you know, we've never talked to one of those guys that that are involved in coming up with the CPI, and you gotta assume that the people behind that are are smart enough to know that um, they're missing the mark a bit with CPI. Oh, I think I think it's. I think it's more of a bit because I've I've used. The oh, CPI. I know. I'm being yeah. I'm being somewhat. Well, I'm just saying. If, if you can see people the, use it, if you see the expression on my face right yeah. now, you'd. you'd but if, <laughs> but like, if, if people yeah. use it for the reason it was there for, like I used mm-hmm. it in the late '70s to price railroad cars and to, and to do contracts, I, I'll, I'll stay. Uh, I'll tell you the the teachers union contract out here in, in the district that I'm that I live in. Their pay raise is based on the year-over-year CPI in December. Um, good. For and there's a lot of those out there. Um, I think virtually no one, other than public employees, even has a cola thing in their in their contract anymore. Mm. I don't. I don't think. Um, I don't think they do. If they you don't do, think it, any like uh, any of the big big unions. I you know I don't. That in they never say that. I mean right when I. Yeah. Was the guys at John Deere got a uh, four-year contract with a? Uh, they were going up like fourteen percent in four years. I go, you guys just put yourself in a recession. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, right? They're not they're not going to keep pace yeah. with anything with that. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, it, it needs to be an honest number for a lot of reasons. What if, what if the uh, Russell and Chief Home Building Group ten years ago told some some people, we will build you. Eight homes a year for ten years, and here's the price. And by the way, we'll we'll go with a CPI. I'm saying you or I are out of business. We're out of business. Well, we that, that LLC has declared bankruptcy, and we've started a new one. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no way on earth that if we use the and CPI we're build, and we're building the same houses at uh, twice the price that we said we would. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. but that's I mean that, that's a, that's the wiggle around it deal. Yeah, but but, but the but fact is, the, they keep not even close to keeping track. I mean, yeah. I don't know how insurance companies. Uh, do, do you? Do you? I don't know how insurance money companies like insure a house. I mean now. I mean, I mean roofs or what? Well, they, grand, you 80? know they get to reset that once a year. Right, but I mean, yeah. So what, what, what's a can, what's a nice right. roof? Eighty grand. Goodness knows. I don't want to know. Well, no, but the, I don't uh, want to have to put one up there. But no, I understand what you're saying. Is so, that, but how do how do, uh, how do you how do you how do you price that stuff out? Well, you you pass it along. Is what you do, and that's one of those things they can easily pass along because we we got no say on. We have to have it. Yeah. If you have a mortgage, you got to have it. Um, you know, maybe you scale it back a bit, but you know, or, or you take on a higher deductible to keep that number lower, but. No, the that yeah, insurance companies are very fortunate that they can uh, that they can recalibrate once a year. 
And really, they're recalibrating um, one twelfth every month, so I, they can keep up with it that way too. I have a, a, a real stupid question before we get back to: Are we ever going to be able to deal with uh, the fact that this uh, federal deficit is out of control? Plus, what is what is the motivation on the local level, Illinois, because they supported the current guy in? How much money do Illinois and Chicago get from the federal government? I would assume more than they were getting before. Yeah, I think they. You know, and and I know, uh, I I one of the thing I you know, w- one of the last things Clinton did uh, was gave gave us a billion dollars for that whole new front lake front path, which is great and all, um, but yeah, uh, you know, I don't I doubt there was a whole lot being done uh, repair wise on the federal dime while in Chicago while uh, Trump was president. Well, you know, it, it's funny, Russell. I was, uh, mm. I, you know, when you when you observe a little bit, my parents had, had uh, just died and we were cleaning out the house and so forth. So I used it as an excuse to get down to Tucson to buy this old pickup truck, right? So I'm driving, yeah. the, I'm driving the thing back and I'm going through. Uh, I guess I'm on, am I on forty? Not forty. Whatever, whatever the hell you ran down there, old, old US sixty six through uh, Arizona and New Mexico, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it's you know it's been asphalted over a bunch of times you could see it needed like pretty serious work and bush had just been president and obama had just come in right so mm-hmm. the minute i I'm, you went into texas the interstate is brand new <laughs> it's oh, all of course con- it is it's all concrete you know no more of the the crummy asphalt stuff that you could see has been redone a hundred times and i'm thinking okay if this, this is if this is what it means to have a president from your home state maybe i'll be all for it i don't think we did squat with that guy in Illinois with Obama, and I don't think they did anything for us, or maybe a little bit. But hey, I have a um, that was a big, big, the big question I had, uh, I had for you. Oh well, uh, it had to do with um, I mean, how, how do you when all this stuff? The guy was talking about you shouldn't be doing the debt ceiling stuff because these are bills that you passed. I, I think according to Carl, the way that they, the CBO calculates. Um, how what what any bill is supposed to do for the budget the next year that they're so restricted that he says that the that the actual number that we're borrowing is actually a lot higher than if you if you use their numbers of adding up all the bills that you signed that it, it, it tends to to run away so there actually is a reason you know whether Republican or Democrat or what there is a reason to look at the number and say wait a minute even though I voted mm-hmm. for all the bills Something's wrong here. It, by my calculation, it should be, you know, twenty-eight trillion, and it looks like we're thirty-one. What's going on? We, do we need to adjust some of this stuff? That there is a reason to to look at this debt ceiling, and, and if it doesn't match up, to say we need an adjustment on one or two or three or four of the last bills we just put through. There's, it's not totally irrational to say yeah, we need. No, we there's need, a, there's an idea. I mean, there's a reason this thing is in place. Yeah. Um, and you'll hear, you'll hear people toss around. Well, maybe we should just do away with the debt ceiling, uh, and that never gains a whole lot of traction. And if it doesn't get a whole lot of traction, even though it's a big pain in the butt, uh, there is definitely a reason for it. And you know, it, 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 it hopefully it's not going to go away because it it's the only thing they've got going on that creates some sort of discipline. Not saying it's good discipline, just some sort of discipline. Well, do you think these guys? I don't see how you don't. If you're going to attack 
Biden spending bills, I don't see how you, you can't attack Trump's tax stuff, even though I don't really want taxes going up. Oh, no, it, it, it's, it, both are bad. There's just no other way to put that. Both are hurting us on both sides. I, you know, I, I feel like you know, we can only do so much with taxes. And you know, they talk about you know, raising taxes on billionaires. There aren't that many billionaires around. And I, I did the numbers a while back, and I did it before my concussion, so I know I, I know I'm going to mess up the the outcome of it. But you know, I took a look if we'd confiscated like the top hundred billionaires in the U.S.'s money, uh, how long we just took all of their money, um, how long we could run the federal government on it, and it was less than a month. Yeah, it's not very much. I feel like it was. I feel like it was just a few days. Right. You it's- know, and and that's that. So if we took everybody's everything and could only run the federal government for, you know, and I'm talking about everybody, not just the billionaires, everybody. If they just came in and confiscated everything that we had, um, the government would run out of money, you know, probably within a year. Well, I'm, I'm with means, you. Which means this is a spending problem. It, it is for sure a spending it problem. Is, I don't, it's a, I just think on, 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 this, on the social level, on the fairness level, I would make some serious changes to the tax code, uh, and and you know, and I don't know. I don't think it would give us all that much money, but it would make people feel. I, I would say no matter, no matter what you are, a person, a corporation, mm-hmm. or LLC, or whatever, I think you should all pay the same rate, and I think we should get rid of the double taxation of dividends. That if a corporation makes hundred million dollars. But they should pay 35% or mm-hmm. whatever individuals pay. You know, by the way, if you send out $80 million in dividend, that's you deduct that. You're paying 35 mm-hmm. of the 20 you got left. I don't think, I mean, I just just make it fair. I don't think there should be a, a step-up basis on stock where if you croak, your kid never pays the taxes on it because it's capital mm-hmm. gains tax. And, and I think the capital gains should be indexed in that in that. You know the one-year breakdown. So- oh yeah, no, that would be be much, 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 much better. Um, you know, in in the thing is, if if, if really, I mean, can we kind of agree that the spending side is really where we need to where we need to do the work? Well, it's almost it's it, it's virtually all. If you listen to yeah. Carl, it's and virtually so all in the in the, Medi- what- in the Medicare and Medicaid side, and that yeah. that part of the pot, the, the biggest single lie. Well, so I mean, there's a million lies I'd I like to point out. The biggest single lie, and it runs through the CPI and everything, is that the med- medical stuff here is 20 to 21% of the economy and way higher than any other country. And I don't think our medical is as good as in a lot of these other countries. That, that needs to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't, be, we can't be 11 grand a night in a hospital here. I mean, for God's no, sake. No, we can't. Especially with with us getting older on average, yeah, we, we most definitely can. But the the real thing is here, it, it, it something's got to give on the spending side. It's just got to, and <clears throat> yeah, I and and I don't, I I understand social spending. Again, I I understand, you know, not everybody can can it can always take care of themselves, you know, and and. The government should be like the last last backstop for them, but you know we we are just you know we you just can't stay on the same pace that we're sticking with. No, we can't 
we can't keep doing it. You know, it, it's like um, I, I I have a friend who who was um, you know, who is in a, in a kind of a wealthy family. Her father did fairly well. They had like ten twenty million dollars or so, and they had the tr the trust lawyer sit down with one of the kids and say, "Look, you know, you're not a Rockefeller man. There is <laughs> there is not an end to this. Uh, you know, there there is an end to this. You you've got to you know learn how to." You know, unfortunately, it's not the parents doing it; it was the, you know, trust yeah. lawyer doing it. But um, yeah, it, it that, that's kind of how we are. Maybe we need to send that guy to DC and go. You guys, you you just can't keep doing this. But part of the part of the issue is the debt has been a problem since I was in grade school. We've been told it's a problem. Well, I don't. There's a. I mean, we really have. We. I mean, Reagan. You know, Reagan would talk about the deficit, and and people, you know, pointed at Reagan with increasing the deficit, et cetera. It, deficit has been something that has been discussed my whole life, and when it's discussed as an issue your whole life, and it never really comes to fruition, maybe you just don't. You know, maybe the average person just doesn't think about it, doesn't care. They and, don't think and about it at all. Thinks it's never. Thinks it's never going to impact them. They don't yeah, think about I'll, it at all. I'll loop back to: we are so much closer to most of this stuff that you know. In in and you know, we understand. We also understand. I I had a discussion with one of my stu former students from Loyola, who's an analyst at one of the brokerage firms here in Chicago, about the debt ceiling and what would actually happen. And I said, you know, it's it's only non-essential services. Um, I feel like one time we didn't get some of our economic numbers because they hit the debt seat, like the well, Bureau of said, Labor Statistics they had, they didn't announce said, a number. It's, it's and it, National Parks got, closed. Pe yeah, people got pissed off because they went to the National Park yeah. and they couldn't, you know, and, and those places were closed. Um, but in in reality, uh, you can't tell me that, that, you know, you couldn't grab five random people getting off the Metro the day after we hit the ce debt ceiling and ask them, what, how's it going to affect you? And they give you a logical answer. Well, you can't. Here's here's what I think is going on, and then we got a dash. Uh, mm -hmm. The mo modern economic policy, which you know you're part of because you're teaching today. I'm not saying you agree yeah. with, is that we're never going to get rid of the deficit. Okay, and, and I think most people certainly not in our lifetime. But the idea is, if your if your real growth is higher than the growth in the deficit, you're gaining on it. Okay. Yeah. No, the problem, and the we're prob not right now. Well, the problem yeah. there is, you have a Trump tax bill where the people who are stupidos are actually just doing their own stuff. Say, even though we're lowering taxes, we're doing it in such a way where our revenue, our tax revenue, is going to be higher three years from now or ten years from now. So we're all okay. Or Biden coming out and saying, not him personally, saying, oh, "This bill is going to make everybody in the country have Wi-Fi." Okay. So everybody on Wi-Fi is going to be so much more efficient. That actually our tax revenue is going to go up and it's going to pay for this bill. Well, both of those are total layers of BS. Yeah. To the extent that we're we're not. I mean, what our, our deficit's grown by what percent a year now? Do we have any growth? Do we really have any any real growth now? If we are, it's Probably. less than one. And yeah. There, and there's no it's way. Pretty low that, right now. There's no way the deficit's not grown by over one percent a year. And we keep lying to ourselves that these are these are things that over a period of a decade are going to help, and they never do. That's that you know. That's why we have the debt ceiling. I mean, how do we, how did he get this high? All these bills said it was going down. No, they're not. No, they're not. No. And uh, because no, and but you got You got to address some spending, man. Well, it can't but, just be taxes. And uh, the the idea is is when are we going to go back to 
Well, if the federal government starts paying 5%, I mean, I mean I don't know who's done this math lately? It's, it's easy enough to do. $31 trillion. Okay, well, 10% is uh, $3 trillion a year. So 5% is what? Mm-hmm. $1 trillion five in interest. What the hell? What the hell? Oh, I know. I know. All right. Why don't we uh, have we have a good time? Um, are you are you where which campus are you doing this this uh, uh, but, uh one of them I teach in Indianapolis in person. The other one's online for Kelly Direct. Cool. All right, but yeah. we have a good time. Sp futures down twenty. Nasdaq futures down eighty five. We'll see if we can turn this bus around today. Not so much so far. Back tomorrow, stocks and jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708 349 3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.